Republicans finally get their speaker, Trump faces his fixer, and memories of what happens when you cross your party. We've crossed the River Jordan on The Political Junkie. You like Ike, I like Ike, everybody likes Ike for president. Add Ike to you, add Ike to me, I don't care how you quote it. Come on and vote for Kennedy, vote for Kennedy, and we'll come out on top. Vote for Richard Nixon and Henry Cabot Lodge, cause they're the ones to lead the USA. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to episode 404 of The Political Junkie. I'm Ken Rudin. The sideshow of the House of Representatives is finally over. After ousting Kevin McCarthy, ignoring Steve Scalise, embarrassing Jim Jordan, and dismissing Tom Emmer, Republicans have, with not a single dissenting vote, rallied behind four-term Louisiana Congressman Mike Johnson. And he is, at last, the Speaker of the House. The Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana has received 220 votes. And the Honorable Hakeem Jeffries of the state of New York has received 209 votes. Therefore, the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana, having received a majority of the votes cast, is duly elected Speaker of the House of Representatives for the 118th Congress. After more than three weeks of disunity, bitterness, and circular firing squads, The GOP on Tuesday nominated Johnson and, one day later, got him confirmed. The previous nominee, Tom Emmer of Minnesota, decided not to even go for a vote once Donald Trump said he was unacceptable. Emmer's withdrawal satisfied Trump, who took full credit. I absolutely must have had an impact because as soon as I did the unendorsement, it was never an endorsement. I was never treated particularly well by him. As you probably have heard, and uh, he was a MAGA. Most people are MAGA in the Republican Party. They want to see our country be great again. So I disagreed with him on a lot of things over the years, and uh, I assume it had a big impact. And after Johnson was elected, Trump took credit for that as well. I just want to congratulate Mike Johnson. He will be a great Speaker of the House, and we were very happy to help. I've known him for a long time. He's a tremendous leader. He's a tremendous man. comes from... A wonderful place, Louisiana. He's going to be, uh, he's going to make us all proud. So at this time yesterday, nobody was thinking of Mike. And then we put out the word, and now he's the Speaker of the House. Note that both times Trump spoke, he had to step out of a courtroom where he's on trial for fraud. Yes, the leader of the Republican Party. The GOP has been in nothing but turmoil these past three weeks. Are you going to stay in the race, Leader McCarthy? You're not yes. I'm okay. not going anywhere. NBC News has just learned that Steve Scalise of Louisiana has won the Republican nomination for Speaker of the House. There's a new frontrunner in the race for House Speaker today. Republicans voted to nominate staunch conservative Jim Jordan of Ohio. We are following breaking news. House Majority Whip Tom Emmer has won the GOP nomination for Speaker. But the chaos, which some thought might hurt the party in next year's elections, could quickly disappear if Johnson is able to keep his colleagues from imploding and shutting down the government when the bills come due next month. And the hard right, which took down McCarthy and had no use for Scalise or Emmer, seems to be very pleased with the choice of Johnson. So, yes, it's time to look forward. But in listening to all the House floor conversation about which way the party should go, 
My favorite is still what Elise Stefanik, the New York congresswoman who chairs the House Republican Conference, said in nominating Jim Jordan a week ago. Our friend and colleague Jim Jordan is a patriot. He is an America first warrior who wins the toughest of fights, going after corruption and delivering accountability at the highest levels of government on behalf of we, the people. Jim is the voice of the American people who have felt voiceless for far too long. Whether as judiciary chair, conservative leader, or representative for his constituents in West Central Ohio, whether on the wrestling mat or in the committee room, Jim Jordan is strategic, scrappy, tough, and principled. He is a mentor, a worker, and above all, he is a fighter. Democrats couldn't believe their ears. And I'm sure Republicans wrestled with their vote after that speech. What has happened this month? Certainly nothing as horrific as the atrocity committed by Hamas in Israel, which started on October 7th. On that day, fighters infiltrated the country from Gaza and butchered some 1,400 people. Many of the victims were children and the elderly, and many were beheaded. President Biden is working both to release the hostages held by Hamas and keep Israel from launching a ground invasion of Gaza, which will result in many, many more casualties, which is exactly what Hamas and Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu both want. Israeli bombing missions in Gaza have already left thousands more dead, most of them innocent Palestinians. For his part, Donald Trump said that had the 2020 election not been rigged, Hamas never would have launched its attack. There was Joe Biden with his weakness and what he did with Iran and others that caused the attack on Israel. We're dealing with stupid people. Dealing with stupid people. He funded Hamas, Hezbollah abroad. Well, he launched a war on patriotic citizens at home. He also came up with an astonishing discovery. He said, uh, Macron, nice guy. You know, look, he's for France. I'm for, I'm for us. I'm for us. You know how you spell us, right? You spell us, U.S. I just picked that up. Has anyone ever thought of that? I just picked that up. A couple of days I'm reading and it said us. And I said, you know, if you think about it, us equals U.S., isn't it? We'll focus on Donald Trump's travails at another time. But we can't ignore the news that, on Tuesday, Jenna Ellis became the latest pro-Trump lawyer who lied about the so-called election fraud of 2020 to plead guilty of lying herself. As an attorney who is also a Christian, I take my responsibilities as a lawyer very seriously, and I endeavor to be a person of sound moral and ethical character in all of my dealings. In the wake of the 2020 presidential election, I believed that challenging the results on behalf of President Trump should be pursued in a just and legal way. I endeavored to represent my client to the best of my ability. I relied on others, including lawyers with many more years of experience than I, to provide me with true and reliable information, especially since my role involved speaking to the media and to legislators in various states. What I did not do, but should have done, Your Honor, was to make sure that the facts the other lawyers alleged to be true were in fact true. 
in the frenetic pace of attempting to raise challenges to the election in several states, including Georgia, I failed to do my due diligence. I believe in and I value election integrity. If I knew then what I know now, I would have declined to represent Donald Trump in these post-election challenges. I look back on this whole experience with deep remorse. For those failures of mine, Your Honor, I have taken responsibility already before the Colorado Bar who censured me, and I now take responsibility before this court and apologize to the people of Georgia. Thank you. She has agreed to cooperate with the prosecutors in the Georgia case, including testifying against her superiors, possibly Donald Trump, possibly Rudy Giuliani, as did the other Trump attorneys who pleaded guilty, Kenneth Chesbrough, an architect of the fake Trump electors plot, and Sidney Powell, known for her wild conspiracy claims and the aftermath of the election. After Powell's election plea, Trump released a statement saying that Powell is not his election attorney and never was. Sidney who? In other news, Republican State Attorney General Jeff Landry was easily elected governor of Louisiana, winning without a runoff. He will replace two-term Democrat John Bell Edwards. LaFonza Butler, who was appointed by California Governor Devin Newsom to fill the Senate seat of the late Dianne Feinstein, announced she would not run to keep it in next year's elections. Butler is the third black female senator in history after Carol Mosley Braun and Kamala Harris. And following her strong performances in the first two GOP debates, Nikki Haley has found herself the target of attacks from Ron DeSantis' Political Action Committee. Nikki Haley's record on China? As Governor Haley rolled out the red carpet for Chinese companies. They want to do business in South Carolina. Our home, your home. She gave them millions in tax breaks, subsidies, free land. A Communist Party-owned high-tech company got 200 acres, five miles from an army base. I think China is really in good faith doing quite a bit. They are a really great friend of ours. Nikki Haley, questionable judgment, dangerous on China. Never back down is responsible for the content of this advertising. DeSantis once saw Vivek Ramaswamy as a threat to his status as Trump's leading challenger and went after him. Now he sees it in Haley. We'll see if people continue to talk about DeSantis as if he mattered in this race. The third debate is November 8th in Miami. NBC News will be hosting the event, which means there might actually be a question about Donald Trump asked by the moderators. Incredibly, Fox News forgot all about him during the first two debates. But Republican voters certainly have not. Throughout the entire Speaker of the House carnival, the fantasy for many Democrats was, oh, if only some brave, moderate Republicans would cross over and vote for the Democratic nominee for Speaker, Hakeem Jeffries, then this nonsense would finally be over. I would always puncture these dreams by reminding them that any Republican who crossed over to vote for a Democratic candidate for Speaker might as well kiss his or her political future goodbye. They would be gone the moment you heard the words GOP primary challenge because that's what would happen. No Republican attempted to do it. It didn't happen, and it's not going to happen for that reason. One guy did try it nearly three decades ago. 
It wasn't for Speaker of the House of Representatives. It was for Speaker of the California Assembly, and he paid for it with his political career. Let me set up the story. In 1994, California Republicans captured 41 out of the 80 assembly seats, giving them the majority for the first time in two decades. One would have thought those numbers meant the GOP speaker. But Paul Horcher, a moderate Republican assemblyman with an independent streak, renounced his party after the elections and voted for the Democratic choice for the speaker, Willie Brown, which re-elected Willie Brown. For anyone with a passing interest in California politics, Willie Brown was the Republicans' mortal enemy. And Paul Horcher is here to explain what happened. Paul, welcome to The Political Junkie. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Well, I appreciate it. Well, look, you know, we know that the 1994 election saw a big victory for Republicans nationally. Uh, with Newt Gingrich, they won control of the House for the first time in 40 years. And with Bob Dole, they captured the Senate as well. In California, Republicans won the assembly for the first time since Ronald Reagan was governor. Republicans were excited about electing a speaker, finally. You were not. How come? I knew both the uh, Republican candidate for speaker and the uh, Democrat candidate, I mean, Willie Brown. It wasn't even close. I could have knew him pretty well. Was it ideology? Was it personality? What was it? Well, people think about politics. It's all ideology, but... To me, it's more than that. Sometimes it's personality, whether you like someone or not, and whether you, you feel you can, uh, are going to listen to you or not, or just use you as a, you know. I, uh, it was easy. I went, I went Willie Brown. Repercussions were severe, but uh, I didn't, I've never regretted it. I was, he's really a great man. Well, had you been warned that a vote for Willie Brown for speaker would hurt your political career? Uh, at that point, uh, it did matter to me, but uh, I was termed out. And I was just tired of those people I was uh, dealing with in the Republican leadership, but I, I couldn't stand them anymore. And I figured this is my last chance to let them know how I really felt about them. Well, you had won re-election to your assembly district with 61% of the vote, so you were popular back home until you left the party. Uh, did you fear a recall? Did you ever even think that a recall was possible? Well, I hoped they, they, they would come to the senses, the voters, but... Uh, I just got a new high school for the district. It wasn't easy. And I, but uh, like I say, if you want gratitude, buy a dog. When you quit the GOP, did you have any allies left? I mean, Democrats were trying to beat you, and, and now the Republicans were trying to recall you. It, it had to be a lone. Yeah, there, there were a few Republicans who agreed with me, and uh, they, too, were later recalled as well. It was, but uh, I was the first to go. I think you were the first to go in 81 years. Is that correct? Yes. About, yeah, it was, the uh, last recall of a legislator was, uh, I believe, someone who was trying to uh, clean up prostitution in San Francisco or somewhere, and he got, re he got recalled for it. Virtue is its own punishment. <laughs> I keep thinking, though, if I look at the numbers, I can't think of it any other way. It looks like many of the same people who voted for your reelection also voted to recall you. Now, I assume you probably lost a lot of friends over this. Uh, me, perhaps. Yeah, obviously I made some friends, and I lost some friends, and made, made um, plenty of new enemies. Uh, it does seem like it's uh, like the old expression in politics is friends come and go, but enemies accumulate. 
I, I did not expect the governor to get involved, but he did, because uh, I was the only reliable vote he had. We're talking about Governor Pete Wilson. I risked my career three or four years earlier when I voted for his budget, because the, most Republicans refused to. And um, they were just there to be obstructionists, never to make government work. They, they liked to uh, talk tough about law and order and so forth, but deep down, they weren't tough. They were just mean. And they had no intention of ever making a tough vote. What's a tough vote mean? Oh, well, you got to keep, keep the government moving. Fund the government. It doesn't run on air. You talked about that Pete Wilson, whom, of whom you were an ally, worked for your recall. Uh, did Willie Brown get involved? And would that have been a help in that district? Willie Brown's very helpful. And Governor Wilson, had stayed out. I might have been able to sustain it. Uh, but he didn't stay out. He put like $2 million into the recall, I believe. I don't I've never seen the records, but that's what I've heard. You know, these days in Washington, uh, we know that some of the Republicans who opposed Jim Jordan for speaker reported receiving death threats. Did anything like that happen to you? Yes, very much so. I had, uh, I had armed guards for a while. My family, uh, I first saw at armed guards for a while, and then we uh, left the city where I live, my hometown, and disappeared for a while. It was, it was pretty heavy, actually. I hadn't thought about it in years. Now you bring them back, my bring the memories back. They weren't good memories. Uh, and I apologize for that. I, I, but I think the fact that that this happens in politics, the death threats happen in politics, that doesn't sound too democratic to me. Well, I'd always wanted to, to, to uh, be in the state assembly, state legislature, in the state assembly, and but when I was elected, and I was appalled. Uh, the first, the first meeting of the Republican caucus. In my mind, I felt that could, there were a few, few fairly good people there, but most of those people, I think the voters could have done better just randomly picking someone out of the phone book. As I said before, they had no idea, they had no, they had no intention of trying to make government work. They were just obstructions. They just want power without responsibility. The Democrats are, uh, are better at governing. However, they tend to try to solve every social problem by throwing more and more money on it. You can argue all day what the pros and cons of each party. I initially just did not, did not become a Democrat, though I am now. I initially just registered as independent, declined to state. I was always, when I was up there, I was always very, very political, but I'd never been very partisan. I liked a lot of Democrats up there. I liked them very much. I miss them today, but most of them are deceased now. Thinking back to those days, and again, I apologize if I did bring back bad memories, but thinking back to that nearly 30 years later, would you would you do the same thing today? For Willie Brown? You bet. And even risk your whole political career uh, on that vote? Yes. I, there was no alternative. I was supposed to vote for a fellow named Brulte. Jim Brulte was the Republican leader of the Assembly. Yeah. I had no use for him. I have dealt with him and did not consider him fit to be speaker, period. One might think that you'd, you'd get a Republican nominee for speaker who would, who would unite the party, no? Yeah, you would think so, but uh, in politics, people, people have to like you, vote for you. If you want to be a speaker, I had to like him, but I did not. And he gave me plenty of reasons not to like him over the years. Do you still, do you have people who just come up to you or people from the past who, who say, oh, I remember those days of 1994, 95. Do you ever, do you still have those conversations? Yeah, I remember, 
I'm a lawyer by trade, uh, attorney. And I remember I went to I went to court, and uh, a judge came over and talked to me and said, "You complimented me what what I did and uh, that brave vote I did and so forth." And I told him, "Next time you do it." <laughs> but anyway, I had a good time with him. He was. Uh, yeah, a lot of people vicariously. Uh, I remember there was an old state senator there. He was a Republican, and he told me, "You know, Horcher, I've waited. I've been up here 30 years, and I'd never, I've never been able to get all these guys back. But you did it in one vote. Congratulations." It was either the stupidest thing that anybody could do, or it was profiles and courage, right? Depending on your point of view. Paul Horcher is a former Republican state assemblyman in California who quit the party after his 1994 re-election to become an independent, voted for Democrat Willie Brown for speaker, and was promptly recalled several months later. Paul, it was wonderful having you on the program. I hope I didn't remind you of things that you'd rather forget. No, you're a nice guy. I appreciate listening to you. The toppling of Kevin McCarthy some three-plus weeks ago wasn't the first time right-wing Republicans took down a Speaker of the House. Back in 2015, Ohio's John Boehner, the GOP Speaker at the time, was trying to avert a government shutdown by pushing for a short-term funding extension. But ultra-conservatives said they wouldn't budge on their opposition to any bill that provided funding for Planned Parenthood. Boehner decided to call it quits. At the time, Kevin McCarthy, who was the majority leader, was considered the likely successor. As it turned out, conservatives blocked him back then as well. On October 1st, 2015, in episode 96 of The Political Junkie, we spoke to Bob Livingston about Boehner's departure and the stalemate in Congress, as well as his own role in the 1995 government shutdown. We're playing it once more now. The aftershocks of John Boehner's announced resignation continue. It marks a stunning end to the career of a GOP House Speaker with the largest Republican class since 1928. He's leaving because he could not shake the implacable opposition of some 30 to 45 Republicans who saw him as a sellout, someone more interested in compromise than for standing up for conservative principles. Never mind that the House voted 67 times to defund Obamacare, Why wasn't there a 68th time? Never mind that the government shutdown of 2013 hurt the party's image. Why can't we do it again? Convinced the Republican rebels were not going to back down or go away, Boehner decided he had enough. Bob Livingston is a former member of the House from Louisiana, served as chairman of the powerful Appropriations Committee, and was seen as a loyalist of Speaker Newt Gingrich. He also watched Gingrich's own resignation up close. Today, he's a lobbyist in Washington and remains a close observer of what his party is going through on Capitol Hill. Congressman Livingston, welcome to The Political Junkie. Thank you, Ken. It's great to be here. 
You saw some 25 Republicans vote against Boehner for speaker during the leadership elections in January. Uh, and you, you watched as some were openly talking about removing him, declaring that the uh, speakership would be vacant and uh, because he would not agree to shutting down the government over the Planned Parenthood funding. You know this unhappiness has been around for a while. Did you sympathize with his plight? Well, yeah, I do, uh, because I think that John Boehner is a good man. He was a good speaker. Uh, I didn't agree with him on every issue, but John Boehner was a conservative. I'm a conservative. All of these people that are giving him grief are conservative. And uh, the the differences were not so much philosophical. Uh, and frankly, uh, they, uh, uh, they weren't that strategic. Uh, they were tactical, uh, tactical differences in the in that. These guys, the 30 or 40 of them, have an idea of how to handle the House of Representatives and ultimately the Senate uh, in order to get a conservative agenda across the plate. Boehner wanted that. He voted for all of this stuff. He was not philosophically opposed to them. Uh, The problem is that some of these folks uh, haven't looked carefully enough at the Constitution. Their quarrel is not with John Boehner or Mitch McConnell uh, or Kevin McCarthy or whoever might replace uh, McConnell or uh, any of the leadership. The, uh, their, their concern, their problem, and, and they are frustrated, as am I, uh, at the fact that under the Constitution, as devised by Madison, you need to have the majority of the votes in the right place at the right time. Boehner carried the day in the House of Representatives. That's the real irony here. He passed all of these uh, issues that they're concerned about, whether they were uh, a condemnation of Obamacare or Dodd-Frank or Planned Parenthood or anything else. Uh, he's on the same side. I would say he is as pro-life as anybody, any Absolutely. member of anti-abortion, all that. But he remembers the lessons of 2013 and said, we don't want to go through that again. Why don't? Well, the reason that, that, that they're frustrated is because they didn't either didn't have the votes for the majority uh, uh, to carry these issues in the Senate or else they couldn't beat the 60-vote requirement uh, to beat the filibuster. Uh, and had they gotten that far... They wouldn't have had the votes to override the president of the United States. And in this case, this president is dogmatically opposed to just about everything the Republicans want. Everything, certainly everything the Tea Party folks want, but it's basically one and the same. He's the president. He's got a sufficient minority in the Senate to block anything that uh, uh, causes a battle. And unfortunately, because of that, everybody gets frustrated and John Boehner and ultimately uh, Mitch McConnell become the spear catchers and uh, get in the wrong end of the battle. Did Boehner have to resign? No. Well, I think he was frustrated and I I expected that by the end of this term he probably would have. And I think, as he uh, indicated publicly, had Eric Cantor not been defeated in the primary, he probably would have retired last year. And Eric Cantor wasn't conservative enough. He was so conservative. Eric Cantor was a conservative, absolutely. But uh, uh, again, he was the chief spear catcher. I mean, he really got whacked. And I guess he just really didn't pay enough attention to what was going on at home because uh, it was a total surprise to him. Do you buy the argument that the Republicans were hurt by the 2013 shutdown? And the reason I ask you that is because 
Tea Party conservatives will say, well, if we were really so badly hurt, why did we do so well in 2014 midterms? I think their argument is valid. Uh, I, I distinguished between the shutdown uh, of the last two times, frankly, in the last few years, uh, and the one that we had in uh, 1995. Uh, back then, uh, we shut it down, and I was an advocate for the shutdown. I'm not an advocate for uh, in these situations because the issue is different. Back then, we were fighting a war to reduce spending. It was an overall war, which we ultimately won. Now it's an issue-by-issue situation, and when you have a president and a a minority in the Senate inalterably opposed to changing those specific issues, a shutdown doesn't win. Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that 1995 shutdown because it just so happens I have a piece of tape uh, from that debate. It was around Christmas time. Republicans were unable to work out an agreement on the budget with President Clinton. Both sides were blaming each other for the shutdown. Tempers were short. And then you, as the Appropriations Committee chair, stepped up to the microphone. The American people are going to begin, if they haven't already, they're going to begin to understand that this is a tough negotiation. This is a tough bargain, and you use what tools you have. We are sorry for the people that have been inconvenienced by this whole effort. But what you have is a fundamental philosophy a fundamental philosophy of people who believe in intransigent, unyielding government with high bureaucracy, with unyielding and rapidly taxing and spending central government versus those of us who believe that government should be smaller, that we need to do the people's business by balancing our books, that we need a balanced budget within seven years, and that we're going to get there. We have told the President of the United States we want to get there, And he has promised us, oh, he does too, but everything he does contravenes that thought. And we haven't gotten to the table yet to confect that balanced budget. Until we do that, until we get that binding agreement, we have no choice but to adopt this continuing resolution for the next few weeks, but to keep up the fight, to keep the faith, to make sure that we stay on track and we tell the American people we're not going to back down. We mean the seven-year balanced budget. My friends, I urge you, as Winston Churchill says, we will never, never, never give in. We will stay here until doomsday. Defeat this this motion to recommit and pass this continuing resolution and Merry Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> that was a pretty uh, good speech. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wish I wish it was, was, was video as well as audio because the look on your face as you're listening to the speech, it brings you back, doesn't it? Well, it, it certainly does. And I have to have to add that uh, when I had finished and, and my mother had listened and seen it on television, she told me, never, never, never do that again. You looked like a lunatic. Uh, <laughs> but the fact is, I, I was right. We were... We lost the battle tactically because we did it just in advance of Christmas. The Merry Christmas thing was was hard to swallow for a lot of people. Uh, But, uh, in fact, we won the war. And that strategically it was right because we were trying to cut the budget and, and keep the president from spending us into oblivion. That's not the issue today. Now they're trying to overturn individual programs. And when you got the, program, uh, the president on one side and, and uh, uh, 
Harry Reid and his uh, sufficient number of Democrats on the other side, uh, the fact is you cannot force him to overturn Obamacare. You can't force him to overturn uh, Dodd-Frank. You can't force him uh, to defund Planned Parenthood unless you've got the votes. And so far, they haven't had the votes. I'm not letting you get away with 1995 just yet. Um, The media portrayed your speech, the we will never surrender, we will never give in, as part of Republican intransigence uh, during the shutdown. And some say that the shutdown helped Bill Clinton get reelected in 96. you buy that? No, 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 no. Actually, I, I, I don't, because that was the year after we did come into the majority, and there were three years uh, succeeding that. Uh, uh, I think that's right. Um, but well, you were, this was December of 95, and he was reelected in 96. I'm, I'm, you probably, well, you may be right. <laughs> I'm, I'll, I'll defer to you. I'm getting my years. It's only been uh, 20 years ago. That's something. Uh, <laughs> but uh, at any rate, no, I, I don't think that that was the case. I, I think that uh, Bill Clinton got uh, elected uh, uh, the second term. Uh, primarily because the economy wasn't that bad uh, and uh, because uh, the, the opposition, I think that was Bob Dole and, and Jack Kemp, didn't put it on as uh, good a campaign as perhaps they might have. Uh, but there was also talk about the Gingrich Revolution overreaching. No, well, no, you know, but no. I, I really don't because if flash forward four years later, we balanced the budget. We did everything that I predicted we'd do. Uh, we followed through, and, and the country was better off. We had a long period of prosperity. Uh, we're destroying that prosperity now. And uh, the leadership of the country uh, in, the, in the White House is, has a program that's not only not working domestically, but it's not working internationally. And I think that you're going to see uh, the American people rise up in, in rebellion as long as the Republicans can hold together and show a united front. front. And I'm concerned that with all of this stuff going on with uh, uh, Boehner and, and, and the uh, people who are opposing him, uh, that that might divide that united front and that we might lose it. And frankly, I'm very, very concerned that if a Democrat were elected president this next time around, we'd lose all the seats on the Supreme Court we'd, and, and, and the country would be in deep trouble for the next 30 years. There's a lot of talk that the end of comity, the, the beginning of the real partisanship, came during, while Newt Gingrich was speaker. But, in it, but having said that, Gingrich and the Republicans and Bill Clinton still worked out deals and passed legislation. Why don't we see that today? I think it's the advance of communications. I blame it on your field, Ken. <laughs> this industry has, has been transformed technologically in the last 16, 20 years uh, beyond anything we might have imagined. Uh, back then, you talked to the radio, you talked to the TV, you talked to the newspapers, and that was the way people got their news. Now it's the 24-hour news service. It's uh, Internet, uh, Instagram, d- tweets, and uh, uh, emails and so forth. Uh, the Internet transfers information around the world instantaneously. Uh, people are constantly on their guard. Plus, on top of that, you've got the uh, uh, whole campaign finance system that's really gone off kilter, off track, uh, where uh, – 
super PACs can be created uh, that are totally unrelated to individual campaigns. And in, in the blink of an eye, because a guy casts a, ba- a bad vote on one particular issue, bingo, he's got uh, a million-dollar primary, a two-million-dollar primary lodged against him. And uh, as a result, everybody's gone to the mattresses. They've gone to the extremes. The left has gone further to the left. The right's gone further to the right. And the moderate guys simply either aren't in Congress anymore uh, or else uh, they're just afraid to talk to one another. We're also seeing things like that in the presidential race. You have the, the desire for non-politicians or outsiders, Donald Trump, Ben Carson, even Kali Fiorina. Um, it seems like the voters want the same thing what some of these Tea Party folks want, is that is either tear down the institution or the institution doesn't work and start fresh. Yeah, I don't want to blame the Tea Party. I, I, I've used them for I'm lack using, of a I'm better using, ter- term because uh, there's a mood in the country, uh, particularly among moderates and conservatives, uh, whatever left uh, moderates there are left in the Democrat Party, but certainly as independents and, and, and Republicans, that government's not working. Well, I agree with that. It's not working right now, and for the very reasons that you've just said. I mean, they're not talking to each other, they're not compromising. Madison's Constitution uh, depended upon people coming to the middle and working out their differences. And if they don't talk to each other, and in this, in this environment, I see Republicans don't talk to Republicans, Democrats don't talk to Democrats, and then they certainly don't talk to each other. Uh, then the system breaks down. And then everybody gets frustrated, and what I worry about is that they go to the extremes. I've seen what happened when people go to the extremes in other countries. Uh, uh, whether you want to <laughs> remember, Hitler was elected uh, in, in Germany and brought the Nazis in. Uh, and uh, uh, Hugo Chavez uh, was elected in Venezuela as re- recently. Point is, uh, when people get so frustrated with the systems uh, uh, that, uh, and the government that they have, they go to extremes and they don't necessarily get something better. They could get something much, much worse. Uh, look at Venezuela today. It's a, it's a basket case. And only 20 years ago, it was a great and powerful country. Yeah, it's, it, it, it frightens me for the future of America. It frightens me for, the, for my children and my grandchildren uh, that they're not going to grow up in, the, in, in, in a nice, peaceful world like I did. And uh, I don't think we need to go to the extremes. We need people who can show that government works, but if they can't get elected, we get the alternative. You were almost Speaker of the House, but that was 1998, which was a gazillion years ago. If you had the opportunity to become Speaker in 2016, it seems like almost an impossible job. Well, it's not an impossible job. Obviously, you got to articulate uh, uh, the problems, and you, the whole point of being a leader be a speaker, majority leader in the in the Senate, is is you've got to bring your troops along, and but you you need not only leadership, you need fellowship, and uh, because of the growth of the extreme organizations on the right and the left, uh, uh, people are more sensitive to being primaried, uh, to, to not uh, not being conciliatory, not uh, look at thinking in terms of compromise, and if they lean more toward the extremes and they're less likely to come to the middle and become followers for the good of everybody. Republican Party will prevail in the presidential elections next year if Republicans stop fighting with each other and start working together for the common good. 
It looks like Kevin McCarthy is going to be the, the, the successor to John Boehner in the House, the majority leader, the, no, no opposition, at least as of this uh, broadcast, no opposition to him. He is not, he doesn't have the reputation of being a policy guy. He's certainly not an ideologue. So in a sense, what do you get when you, change, when you replace Boehner with, with McCarthy? Uh, differences of, of, uh, temperament, I suppose, but not much. Uh, I, I think that unless the environment changes, frankly, uh, there'll be very little change altogether. Kevin McCarthy's very bright. He came up under, uh, my friend Bill Thomas, who was chairman of the Ways and Means Committee and before that chairman of the House Administration Committee. Uh, Bill from California, uh, was an extremely bright, uh, uh, partisan, uh, a fellow who uh, uh, could map out strategy, but he was a little light on the uh, on the human touch uh, from time to time. Uh, and uh, there were people that uh, uh, just didn't always uh, 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 seem to like that approach. Uh, Kevin is much smoother. Uh, he's got the same abilities uh, that Bill had, uh, but he's a, he's also got the ability to reach out and and, and coalesce people. I think his ability to succeed will depend on his his ability to reach out to those various uh, folks on various in various factions in the uh, Republican Party. Uh, I know that he has the capacity to reach across the aisle and, and talk to Democrats, and I think you'll see a greater tendency to, to do that, at least until he's rebuffed. Uh, but uh, uh, frankly, I, I think that he now becomes the chief spear catcher, to use that term again. And, and uh, unless uh, the conservatives who have been uh, so antagonistic to Boehner realize that they've got to come into the center and, and start working with everybody, uh, that unless they do, then he's going to have just as many problems. I was going to say, first of all, these these 30 or 35 Republicans were not elected to join the center, were not elected to go along. And let's just say after the short-term budget deal uh, agreement ends December 11th, and we're back to where we were, where uh, Speaker McCarthy says, well, shutdown is not the way to go, and the and the 35 absolutists say, well, you know, this is what we this is why we got rid of John Boehner. That's right. And I hear that they may have plans to, to uh, cause problems uh, for Kevin just on the day that he's uh, finally uh, elected as speaker. Uh, whether they do or not uh, remains to be seen. But with all of the tough issues, the debt limit, uh, Planned Parenthood is going to continue to be out there. Uh, 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 XM, the uh, highway uh, funding bill. And on down the line, uh, he's got a lot of tough issues that if Boehner doesn't resolve them up front well, before he leaves are going to be left. And uh, they're not going to be any easier for Kevin McCarthy to solve. Are you optimistic? I'm, I'm hopeful. I mean, look, I want a Republican president uh, and I want a functioning Congress. I, I think it's incredibly important uh, for people to come together on, on the conservative side because the inability to come together like that is a default in favor of a Bernie Sanders-led Democratic Party. I mean, they, for all of the problems that the Republicans have, you've got Hillary, who is a majority, more than a majority of people in the United States simply don't trust anymore. They don't trust anything she says, and probably for good reason. 
but Bernie Sanders is out there who calls himself a socialist, and he's the lead candidate other than Hillary Clinton. Uh, the other candidates aren't going anywhere. So uh, unless uh, uh, Vice President Joe Biden, who's very well liked in, uh, uh, across the board of the Congress, uh, comes to the forefront at uh, 72, 73 years of age uh, and, and presents a, a united front for the Democrats, they're in deep trouble. And I think even if he does, he's going to be carrying the mantle of the Obama administration, which is deeply unpopular with the American people. So for all intents and purposes, Republicans should win the presidential contest next year. But, but if we keep having a circular firing squad and shoot each other in the foot and elsewhere, uh, I think uh, it's going to be tough. I was going to say you could talk about Hillary Clinton and you could talk about Bernie Sanders, but the Democrats can talk about Donald Trump and Ben Carson. Well, Ben Carson is a wonderful human being. I, I go back 20 years. I, my daughter dated a guy uh, in this area uh, when she was in high school who uh, ended up with a brain tumor. And I heard that this brilliant uh, African-American uh, uh, brain surgeon operated him and saved his life. He's practicing law today. Uh, so I've been aware of Ben Carson forever. And, and, and he is a brilliant, brilliant man, and, and, and I love his demeanor. Uh, but he's got no political experience whatsoever. And uh, so that bothers me uh, uh, in his race for president. Vice president might be a viable option. Uh, Donald Trump uh, is, uh, is an interesting guy. I, I, uh, I, I love what he says in, in many instances. Uh, I condemn some of the remarks that he's made. Uh, I have a hard time seeing him get 50% of the Republican vote, let alone 50% of the general election. So I don't think Donald Trump's going to be president. And uh, you've got a whole bunch of very well-qualified people who've been kind of left hanging in, in the aftermath of the uh, jet stream of uh, uh, Donald Trump. And uh, we'll, we'll see if, if any of them uh, can rise to the occasion. Jeb Bush has not done nearly as well as everybody expected initially. Uh, I think uh, Senator Rubio has a very good shot, but he likes, and, and Ted Cruz for that matter, both uh, uh, freshman senators, and we've done that uh, just in the last some time. Seven years. Uh, so, seven years. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, it, this is going to be an interesting election, but I don't think that anybody can safely predict who's our next president going to be. And that's all the more reason why Republicans got need to stop shooting each other and start going after the common enemy, which is the socialistic tendency of the new Democrat Party, which is driving this country into oblivion. Before you go, do you want to do one more Winston Churchill impersonation? I will never, never, never do that again. <laughs> Bob, <laughs> Bob Livingston, a Republican from Louisiana, served in the House from 1977 until 1999 and was chairman of the House Appropriations Committee. Bob, it was great having you in the program. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate your inviting me. That's it for this week's show. Don't forget, you can always find my political blogs, trivia questions, and the Political Junkie store, all at krpoliticaljunkie.com. Lots of new stuff added to the store this week. If you've got comments, questions, or complaints, 
send an email to ken at krpoliticaljunkie.com. You can also tweet me at Ken Rudin or shoot me a message on the show's Facebook page. And you can follow my button of the day on Instagram at The Political Junkie. Political Junkie is made possible thanks to the support of our listeners and donors. Your generous contributions are most appreciated. Keep them coming at krpoliticaljunkie.com slash donate. I'm Ken Rudin. Thanks for listening. Please stay safe. I'll see you soon.